Okay, we are live. We are live on Facebook. Uh, this is Purpose and Practice. I wanted to welcome everybody back. Uh, those of you who joined the show last week uh, and those of you who are new to the show. Um, just, a, just a quick reminder, what we, what we want to do here at Purpose and Practice is we bring some ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to the airwaves. Um, our goal is to highlight some of the things they're doing in life and stealing those things. You know, I, I want to create, you know, a space where young people can see some of our guests and hear from our guests uh, and use some of their techniques and some of their practices uh, to move their life in a, in a better direction or, or uplifting direction. So with that said, we believe in the Sankofa model here at Purpose and Practice, and we use Sankofa as a verb. Uh, we use that verb meaning to go back and bring forward. You know, the Sankofa bird is a bird from, and if you if you know any of the history of it, you know that it is from Africa, and it, it goes back to our time with the slave trade and, and the slavery. Uh, and what it symbolizes is the bird behind me symbolizes turning back to get the knowledge or turning back to get the egg and then bringing it forward. And that is what we do here at Purpose and Practice. Today, we have like, let me tell you, we got a brother here, man. Um, my brother, Aramith. Me and Aramith, we go back. Um, he was my student uh, when I was a teacher uh, back in uh, Long Branch, Long Branch Middle School. When I tell you this brother was like, you know, crazy talented, uh, musically talented, artistically talented, um, had, a, had a way with words, very charismatic. Um, you know, he, he got into his little things here and there in the classroom, you know. Um, but I, I tell you, man, it, it, you know, seeing him and, and I've watched him mature, you know, over the last, what, 15 years or so uh, to becoming an author, um, in a book that we're going to get into, you know, which I, I loved his book and, and hopefully, you know, uh, some of you will go out and get it after this show. Uh, but most importantly, you know, he has a story of transformation, um, you know, in becoming a family man, a husband, a girl dad, um, you know, and I, I think his story is one that we all we all need to hear and we all need to embrace. And, and I'm really excited. This is two weeks in a row. We get a chance to speak with some really powerful brothers from the community who have gone on to do some great things and who are giving back in many ways. So with that said, Brother Aramith, welcome to the show. Welcome to the much. show. How are you feeling, brother? So awesome, man. It's a blessing. You just touched it. You took me back, reminded me of <laughs> days, man. And as I told you before, you, you were a brother that I always looked up to. Like I said, just that representation of a, of a positive, black male within the classroom and it just gave us that that energy that we needed to say okay we can take that route even though mm. don't, you know we had all these other distractions you showed us a destination that we can that we can aspire to so definitely appreciate what you're doing here and I, i'm just grateful to be here bro listen man that's that's so mad love and and like like i said i will always believed in sankofa uh so even in my teaching days my whole goal was to reach back. And at that time, reaching back meant reaching to the youth, such as yourself, you know? So with that said, welcome to the show. And what I wanna do is kinda, I wanna go back. 
So I, I want to get back into, you know, the early years. I want to get back to when, you know, Aramith coming up, uh, what Aramith was like, and, you know, and then we're going to lead that into the present you. So let's let's hear a little bit about you and your, and your early times, man. Growing up, what was it like being Aramith? Right, man. Before I moved to Jersey, and I was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and, um, you know, grew up in the inner city there, and my, my mother met my stepfather, he was in the army and he wanted to get us out the hood. And we were in the mm. like, like that area. And so we moved, we moved to Long Branch and it was different because Long Branch is a peninsula, right? And it's by the water and it's really pretty and it's more of a village environment. Whereas Harrisburg we packed in these row houses, the whole block had hundreds of people living in it. And it was, it was a different transition, but I, but I came to Long Branch, met some great friends, I was always into music, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. my, my father, I have a stepfather, and I have my father who's deceased. He was always into music, so he instilled that in me. And I think my Lone Branch days are, are really identified with me singing. That's that's what people remember me for singing. <laughs> singing, uh, you know, with Mr. Bennett, another uh, brother from Lone Branch who saved who saved so many lives. Like his trailer was the spot where a lot of us would go. And that was an outlet. And he was just a good brother. He had pictures on the wall of like HBCUs. And that right there, that was sowing the seed because before Drumline and Stomp the Yard, we didn't really know about HBCU. Um, so grew up in Long Branch singing, had some great friends, played football early on. Uh, that was, I, I wrote about it in the book. That was a struggle for me. Quitting football was something I dealt with um, up until my late 20s. It was a, a great source of, of pain for me. I was really good. And uh, just one of those things, that was one of those things of failure that I learned from and I had to really heal those wounds. They were deep. Uh, going from that, uh, I would say a pivotal moment in my childhood was meeting the Carl Jennings, who's another beacon in Long Branch with the housing authority. He has this college tour called Get on the Bus. True, true. And for like $200, we went to Clark, like spell when we first got to Clark, just imagine a whole bunch of kids from Long Branch. We on a bus, we go to at the Mecca of HBC. <laughs> and as soon as you get there, it's all these girls from Spellman, Morehouse, Clark, they had water guns. It reminded me of school days, and I was like, I'm going to college. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go to college, I was gonna go to the army because at the time. I had a, um, a girlfriend. We we believe that we she was going to have a child. Okay. So going to do the military, man. But um, she didn't have a child. And thank God for the housing authority taking us on those college tours. Uh, man, it just changed my life, bro. And then me and my boy Greg from Long Branch, we applied to Johnson Smith together, became roommates, and just we, now is that Greg? Is that Greg Turner you're referring to? Yeah, that's my one of my best friends. You Listen, he's another one. Listen, he's on my list. Get him. <laughs> he's on my list. That's my yes. boy. Yeah. We still tight. It's only it's Jared Sanderson, Kenny. We all yeah, we you remember all because we all yes. was in class together. We yes. were each other's weddings. I mean, it's still to this day. I mean, Greg's ha has a little one on the way, and we've been to each other. Everyone's been in each other's weddings, regardless how far we were. Um, still tight. Yep. That's dope, man. I, I got I definitely got a hook up with Greg. Greg actually, you know, a couple years ago, 
he came to, I had him come into a, to the school that uh, district that I'm working in now and do some stuff on financial literacy. Um, and like the students were really blown away, man. So he's definitely someone that I am going to get back and get, you know, get in touch with and get on this show. So yeah, shout out to, shout out to Greg, but even going back, shout out to Mr. Bennett. You missed him. You mentioned Mr. Bennett. You miss. you mentioned Mr. Jennings. Shout out to both of them because, you know, I, it's funny with Mr. Bennett, man. I was just thinking um, when you were talking and, you know, RIP to, to, to Kenny Morris Jr., um, you know, because he was a brother, even for me coming up, wow. you know, you spoke very highly, you know, of me at the start of this show. But that's how I would speak to a Mr. Bennett, you know, because when we were coming up. Mr. Bennett was the uh, he was a substitute at the time. You know, that was just when he was beginning his educational career. And he was like a black male who we could identify with. And we used to call him Mike Tyson uh, during that time because he looked like him. Um, Yeah. yeah. But but not. But, you know, but he did instill in us, you know, that whole grambling, you know, uh, because we you know, that was new to us. Um, you know, him being a drum major and him being in that band, you know, that that meant a lot to us. So, you know, definitely a, a shout out, you know, uh, to, to, to Mr. Bennett, Mr. Bennett, who I need to get in contact with, um, you know, because, you know, there's, I know he's going through a lot with the loss of, of Kenny. So, you know, moving, you know, moving forward. Now, when you came to Long Branch, was it middle school or was it high school? Garfield. It was middle school, right? Okay. Garfield. Okay. So you was in Garfield. Yeah. All right. All right. So you you were you were there from elementary school on. And right. I met you, I believe it was in middle school is when is when we is when we finally when we met and we connected. Yeah. So let me let's talk a little bit about because in your book, um, and, and by the way, and I'm gonna link the book here. You know, y'all need to definitely go out and, and get and get this book um from from uh from homeless. Um, to homeowner. I'm going to link it here so y'all can see it. But in your book, you talk about being homeless. Now, I want to I want to get into that because we're in a time right now. We we talked, you know, before, you know, hopping on, we were, we were talking a little bit, you know, about this pandemic situation. And, and one of the things that's coming our way in this country is more economic hardship, um, which is going to unfortunately lead to homelessness, you know. Um, so, your your book and reading your book, man, it, it's just crazy motivational. But what I want what I want to do is is I want to go back to you writing that book and having the courage to talk about your homelessness. Um, and and what I would like for you to do is just just to share, you know, some of some of the experiences that led to you writing that book. All uh, right, so. You know, if you see in the background, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to books. It's my passion. Um, yes. This brother right here, Chris Gardner. Okay. When I tell you that the movie Pursuit of Happiness is actually the better half of his life, even though that movie make you cry, it's very, it's fraught with all kinds of just adversity. His childhood from being raped in his projects, from being abused, from not having his father is so... It's it's touching, but watching this movie, when I after I finished college, I uh, kind of followed my girlfriend, who's now my wife. We've been married since 2012. We both went to school together. She's a Delta, I'm a Q, so we had this whole little Greek thing going on. 
um, she was going to Howard. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I had a, a job opportunity with the Boy Scouts of America in DC. They promised me the position when I interviewed in Charlotte. Um, drove up to DC to interview, stayed with my frat brother for like a whole week, just prepare. And they were like, we're just gonna move some people around and we'll be ready for you. Move, left my apartment in Charlotte, which I loved Charlotte, never wanted to leave Charlotte, but my girlfriend was going to DC. I'm like, you know what? I can get a job up there. We could do the whole thing. I, I, it would be good. So left, went home, moved in with my, back in with my parents while I was waiting for the job to open up. Weeks go by, nothing. So I get a call from a brother uh, named David Brown, who's a long, who's a, a gentleman in Long Branch as well, who gave me an opportunity. He said, are you working? And he's a frat brother of mine, so he he, he called to talk about that. He's like, are you shout working? Out, shout out your frat, man. Uh, Mega South Five, Attorney Incorporated. Are you? The Q's. <laughs> And so, uh, so, and so David Brown, who's an, who's an Omega as well, he reaches out. He says, Hey, you working? I'm like, nah, he said, right, I got a job for you, bro. You're going to be, uh, helping running the camp in Irvington, the Irvington housing authority. And, um, so he gave me a job, man. And I started working in Irvington while I'm waiting. For hold on. So hold on. So when you, because I, I, you know, I'm reading the book. I remember the Irvington story, but I didn't put it together that that was David Brown. That was David Brown. Dave Brown wow. to run a camp, which was in the hood of the hood of the hood of the hood. Wow. We call it the Crescent. When I first got there, after the kids started to like me, they were like, Mr. Fresh, I will <laughs> not park my car when you park your car, because when they steal cars, this is the strip they drive through. But I love my kids and I took them everywhere from New York. They had never been to deal Sandy Hook. Uh-huh. And I drive them in the van down there, show them the houses. And I remember one kid saying, Mr. Fresh, I'll never have a house like that. And it made me kind of tear up because having been to college, having been exposed to so much, I'm like, man, you don't realize that you're a genius and you just need an avenue. Mm. But that society and the, and the circumstance you're in, it, it paints a picture that's limited. And mm. And we don't belong in a box, you know, and that breaks down our idea. It breaks down our mindset. It creates an ideology of limit of, of scarcity. And so I'll always show them different things, but moving on to the story, got a job because, you know, I was waiting, called Boy Scouts. I remember being at the camp one day, they were dodging my calls. I finally got up with them and they said, well, uh, Mr. Trimmy, I'm sorry, uh, but we ended up filling that position. I done left my apartment in Charlotte. <laughs> All my boys, all my friends, my, my girlfriend's at Howard living her life, doing good, you know, and I'm now living at home, back with my parents with a college degree, no income outside of the camp. So I needed some more money, camp stopped. Uh, I ended up getting a, a new car, so now I got a car payment that I can't take care of. So I got a job doing construction with my neighbor, and then I got a job with another brother, Mel O'Neill, who became my mentor. I talk about him in the book. Yes. And and he gave me a job at the Y. So I'm working three jobs. I'm stressed out. I'm losing my hair. I'm depressed. Here I am. I was down in Charlotte, living my life. Just it was, it was a it was a like a movie. Charlotte is just such a crazy city. And with the Greek and down south, it's about the drum line and it's mm-hmm. about fraternities. Everybody in every position from city leadership are all tied in. So it's just a it's a it's a fun environment. It's a very it's a it's a very fertile environment for opportunity. I left all of that, and now I'm in Jersey, in Middletown, <laughs> and I'm stuck, bro. And I'm stressed out. I'm depressed. You know, 
I'm, I'm, I go through bouts of suicide just think because I was so broken because I felt like I'm stuck. Like I left everything to come up here for a job and they let me down. So here I am working all these jobs, man. And, and I watched this movie, Pursuit of Happiness, and um, it really resonated with me. And um, I remember re reading the Bible one day and I read the just be still. And to me, that communicated, don't have fear. If you feel that you need to do something, just do it, pray, and go after it. And work as if it's all depending on you, but have faith that God got you covered. So that's when I took my leap from homeless to homeowner. Uh, my mother gave me some gas money. She wished me well. I shed some tears. I got in my car, packed everything, called my frat brother down in Atlanta. He had set it up so I could live with him and his sister. He's like, dog, if you need a place to stay, until you get on your feet, you're good. Got on the road, wow. and that started it, bro. Wow, right? man. But this man right here, man, if I could meet him one day, Chris Gardner, bro, just changed my life. Man. Wow. So, so I know a lot of your book, what I love about it is a lot of it is about failure, right? Um, and when when I'm reading, because I think sometimes we become very disillusioned with success, you know, um, and, and we believe that like it's this ideal success story. And, you know, and we also believe that that's in a straight line, right? It's from A to B to C, you know, like that, those are, we go through the alphabet of success. But in real life, as you just described, you know, our life, it takes these twists and turns, man. So tell us a little bit about, because, you know, in reading the book, I know what idea I had, what failure meant to you. But, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how you use failure to move you forward? Right. All right. So The Alchemist by <laughs> So the young man Santiago in this book has to give up a lot in order to get to what God has planned for. And so it's a story about a young man on a journey to find that value, to find that success, the alchemy, right? The alchemist, turn, changing one material to the next, finding that gold. And in the end, if you read the book um, for the audience, it, it's really about the value inside. It, the, if you break down the word of education, um, I, I may pronounce it wrong, but I think it's a duco or do so. Yes. It means you say to, yes to to draw from within. Yes. So so, so when, when I was in the classroom teaching, I never focused on imparting. I was trying to withdraw because that's when you activate true learning is when you force someone to explore the value and the gold inside of them. And that book teaches you that sometimes you got to let go of some things that you hold mm. value in order to get something greater. And the first was Santiago, he had to let go of his sheep, right? And as a yes. shepherd, you're telling you're telling a, a shepherd to let go of his sheep. That's his identity. And you just said we have this, this mindset about success. I, if you believe if your parents told you success is this, go to school, get a job, get a house, start a family. And if that doesn't resonate with you, you may start to embody or you may start to, to uh, feel that you're a failure if your life mm -hmm. doesn't play out in that. And that's very dangerous energy because it's a lot of pressure. And an alchemist teaches you that sometimes you got to break from the norm because there's no formula that works for everyone. And we're all unique. We're all special. And the alchemist teaches you that sometimes you got to cut some hair to get some new growth. 
and he had to let some things go. But as he, the whole story of, of of the alchemist in Santiago, he kept taking L's like back to back. People were robbing him. But a beautiful point, and I'll tie this back into what you said, failure. Santiago found himself in this one village, and he just got robbed by uh, some common. He ended up among, upon a, a crystal shop. So the owner mm. of the crystal shop gave him a job. Now, this owner was successful in his own right. He, he was successful. He was doing good for years. And Santiago came, and he said, hey, if I start shining these crystals, and I start doing this, and I start doing that, we'll bring in more customers. He wanted to raise some money to make it to his next step. So he started doing that. All of a sudden, this guy's business started to boom. And this, this, the, the owner of this store said something to him that I'm pretty sure we all have uh, identified or have had experience with. He said his presence makes him uncomfortable. Not from a negative point. Mm -hmm. What he was saying was, you being around reminds me of what I could be. Yes, yes. And it just blew me like, bro, like how many times have someone extrapolated their limitations onto us. You know, you tell you tell a friend, I want to start this business. You know, I want to go into real estate. And they say, well, real estate ain't for you. Real estate is risky or stock investment is risky. So they extrapolate those fears and those insecurities onto you. And if you start to personify that or you start to uh, embrace that, now you've adopted their energy and now you believe that real estate is not for you. When they don't know your formula, you know, mm -hmm. stepping, you quitting that job might be you getting rid of those sheep because God has something so much grander mm -hmm. for you. But in order for you to get to that point, you had to experience some pain. You had to exercise those emotional muscles in order to handle what he was about to put on your plate. Your plate. And so yes. that's the beauty of failure because failure yes. is nothing but going to the gym in life. Failure is going to work out your spirituality. It's going to work out you emotionally, physically. I said I was losing my hair. So it's going to break you down in order to build you up so you can, so you're ready for the next step. You got to have failure. So, so listen, yeah. man, you, first of all, Alchemist, shout out to the Alchemist. Um, sure. that's one of, it's one of those books that you will read multiple times. Yes. Um, you know, and any of the audience, uh, if you're not familiar with the Alchemist, the, the text, I really advise you go out, grab that book uh, and make it part of your purse. That's the book you keep close. You know, it, there's a few books. There's the, that for me is, is deep. Uh, the Bhagavad Gita. Those are books that I will go back and read repeatedly. Uh, Napoleon Hill stuff. I will go back and read. Re, re, yeah, I knew you had. I knew, <laughs> there you go. So yeah. that's next. <laughs> those, those, here, here's what I want to get into, man, because you touched on. And I think one of your chapters is titled, There's a War Going On Inside. Mm. Um, and I think about the mob deep. Every time I hear that, I think about the mob deep verse. There's a war going on outside that no one is safe from, you right. know. And but that can easily be flipped to there's a war going on inside that's being that, that no one is safe from. And that's that self-doubt and mm. killing your dreams. Talk to us about how you worked because you took risks, man. You sold some sheep. So how how did you like how did you get to the point where you were able to do that spiritually, you know, without having that self-doubt creep in? And if it did creep in, how did you deal with it? It's always going to be there. And think of that as like your alarm clock. So 
Self-doubt is human nature. We're, we are, our, our minds, think of our minds as a microcosm of the universe, right? It's very powerful. No computer can match a mind if it's fully operating at peak efficiency, right? We only use 10%, right? So imagine 100%. Hmm. But in within that mind, there are some mechanisms and there's some things that are in there to protect us. So when we are facing danger, this is all about survival, right? Mm. Our mind, automatic protection, fire, stay away, a bear, you know, stay away, snake, stay away, you know, mind protects us. So in life, when we're getting ready to face something new or something that appears risky, our brain automatically says, no, that's bad. That's going to hurt you. And at first, before you start to break through that barrier, that deters uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people from pursuing their dreams because I, everyone can can uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Everyone can relate to this. Think about it. You got this great idea. It's like all right, I'm gonna uh, open up a car wash. It's it's dope, man. You you turned up. Your energy's crazy. About nine o'clock that night, all of these doubts are gonna come in your mind. True. If you didn't take an action, if you didn't call a bank to find out if you can get finance. If you didn't take an action towards it, the doubt is going to swarm you and you're going to feel overwhelmed and it's going to be seen too too much and you're going to feel like, then you're going to start to say, oh, I can't compete with these guys. They're already doing it. There's already 10 down the street. So that's the, I think, our original experience with doubt. Once you start taking those leaps of faith and letting go and letting God and then facing that risk, face your fears, you start to identify that feeling as your ally is letting you know, hey, mm. you're about to venture to something bigger. So when you feel that doubt, you pursue it because now it's like it's letting you know you're about to grow. Be prepared versus stay away. That's going to hurt you. It's you're about to grow. Be prepared. Then you can start to look for those feelings because now that's you. As you just said, well, success is not a straight line. That's going to be your GPS. Whenever you start to feel that feeling of doubt, you know you're entering into a zone of stretch, a zone of growth and expansion, and that's a good thing. You can't grow your muscles without ripping them. So, wow, you always gonna be. You want it. I want to feel that burn. I want to go to the gym and feel ah, bro, I ripped some because now I know I'm growing. Same thing with your dreams and your goals. If you don't feel doubt, you are not stretching yourself enough. You're always gonna feel fearful, especially in entrepreneurship when you know. And we'll get to that, like where we're at right now. Like, you know, we gotta, you know, eat or we don't eat. So, <laughs> yo, you listen, Aramis, man. You, you. I'm not surprised the way you blessing the podcast right now, man. Um, you, you made you you brought something to mind. I just put it up on the screen. Perfection is the enemy of done. Mm -hmm. And what you just said about the doubt, that is so so powerful because I, I just think back of being a teacher, right? I used to have these ideas, right? And I would be like, yo, tomorrow this is what I'm going to do with the kids, blah, 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 blah. Then, you know, during the night, you start having, like, man, they're going to they gonna think that's corny. They may think that's whack. They may think, yo, Mr. Mr. Rawls is whack. Yo, you believe he did X, Y, and Z? And before you know it, you have had a whole conversation with yourself and you have talked yourself out of doing one of the most creative things that you possibly could have done. So I think about that in the brother I had on last week, Jerome Hill, Mr. Encore, 
he was one of the motivators because he did this 365 day beat challenge where every day he made a beat. So I've been talking about doing Aramith. When I tell you I've had all of this stuff I needed to do a podcast for the last four or five years, but I never got off my butt to do a podcast, right? Because I, I was kind of thinking like I had to, it had to be perfect. I had to get it perfect. I had to get it perfect. But then I said, you know what? You know, perfection is the enemy of done. And now if you look at my podcast from last week compared to this week, there's already growth because I started the action. I started the action. So what I, what I want to hear from you, you know, because that, that starting or, or that action is really, really important. But I want to I kind of hear, I talked about planning. I want to kind of hear how, you know, the nuts and bolts of what you do. Uh, one of the things that, that, especially as your former English teacher, that I love most was that your commitment to your journal. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have, you've had a commitment and it's funny because one of the things that I did, I used to have these marble journals, like the marble notebooks that I would, that was the one requirement I had for every student. You got to get one of these notebooks. Right. And we would write in them every single day. And when I was reading your journal entries, okay. And I'm looking at one right now. Um, and I'm just going to share it from the book, August 2nd, 2010. Here I am sitting on the floor at Penn Station. It's 2.05 and my train doesn't come until 4.30 a.m. at the earliest. Okay, that damn mega bus was half an hour late. So when I arrived in New York, it was like seven minutes past the departure time. And it goes on and on and on. But a lot of your chapters come from your journal entries. Can you tell us about the power of the written word for you? Bro, well, I, I wouldn't be right if I didn't give credit to the person who got me started on that. It's a, a brother, um, um, an Omega brother of mine, Neil O'Neill, who used to run the um, YMCA Community Center in Freehold off of Center, I think it's Center Street by the Rug Mill. Uh, when he gave me a job there, every day I would walk in, this is during my, my storm. Like before, the, before the, the journey on sleeping on couches and floors, like I was working three jobs, stressing out, had just got back in grad school. I, I would come in stressed out. He would say, Eric, sit down, bro. I'll sit down. And he was like, all right, what's up? And he would just okay. calm my energy. Yeah. And I learned how to use that in my classroom when I started dealing with kids who they labeled as problem children. I learned how to just do chess and other things. But he would slow me down. And he would say, you got a lot in your head. You know, he would just talk to me about life. Before I started working, he would make sure he get my soul intact. And then he would say, you need to start a journey. And I'm like, a journal, I ain't write no diary. He said, No, start a journal. That stuff in your head, you can see it all in your face. Start writing it down. Mm. And brother, when I tell you I've had a journal since 2009 because of that brother, I got my daughter, and I'll talk about because that's real special what she did with her journal. But I've been doing that journal since then. And what I do is I have my day daily um things I say to myself. I have some Napoleon Hill in there, mm. I have some water war from Sun Tzu, I have some affirmations. And then I have my goals, two-year goals in there. And I overlook them. And as I, if I, if I pass them, if I do it, I check it off. I date it, sign it, and then you know. But after the goals, then there is my mastermind alliance. I have a chart, a table with Les Brown, Steve Harvey, Sun Tzu, uh, 
Warren Buffett, uh, Rick Ross, you see his book mm -hmm. up in different mm -hmm. guys who, who I mentally consult with before I make a move. That's like building a dream team without having to have a dream. Yeah. Team. The mastermind, yes. Mastermind Alliance, yes. Rick Ross. Huh. Was just, you know, it's yes. just you gotta yes. corny. Yes. Like yes. in this jungle, you gotta you gotta ask yourself, am I a sheep or a wolf? And I don't mean that negatively, but it's the energy. You know, if you're gonna be a sheep, you're probably gonna be a little timid. You're probably going to wait for opportunity. And a wolf, you could be a good wolf or a bad wolf. A good mm -hmm. wolf to hunt for his family and feed, and that gives you that tenacity you need to fight this war every day that we fight. And that war inside that you said, those doubts, you need that energy switch to say, when you start feeling timid, hold up, am I a sheep or am I a wolf? Mm. Am I going to sit here and let my own mind convince me that I'm not great? Or am I going to turn wolf mode and, and fight through this doubt and go and do those do that creative project with those kids or start that podcast or mm. open that business? It's just a mindset shift, man. But those journal entries have saved me. And when I was writing my book, I had like, years of journals yeah. going through that one you said you saw put my head down because that's a painful moment for me because i had a job opportunity with the grammys with the recording academy wow and they i was the second and me and the one girl and it was in philly and i did get the job and that that really was the catalyst that sent me down south like after i didn't get that job after going through all of those interviews and taking trains and sleeping on penn station floor after that i was like i'm going back down south so yeah, that those journals, man, saved my life. That yo, that the, the relationship that you had, you know, and I'm just gonna speak this into existence and do you know a little a little prophecy here. But I see a whole book just based on your mentorship relationships. Mm. I see a whole book with each chapter being dedicated to each mentor. And what that mentor did, because one of the most powerful things that you said, I think it was a brother Mel was the name, the mentor, yep. right? Yep. Yes. When when you said, you know, he made sure he made eye contact with me every day. Like that was a brother, right? Was yes. that the yes? That blew me away because that's one of the things that it's like how it made me think. Like how often do I do that? How often, you know, am I really intentional and purposeful with looking at my son, looking at my daughter, looking at my wife, like really like making eye contact. And I, and I read that this week and I was like, wow, you know, that's deep. You know, that, 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 that was really, really deep, deep to me, you know? So what I want to, what I want to move into, man, we, we, we kind of, you know, we moved on. One of, one of my favorite stories, you know, uh, from the book was the book when you when you ended up at a certain NFL quarterback's house. Right. Um, so, I, you know, because here's the deal. Here's, here's what I think of. Right. I believe proximity to success is important. Right. So proximity and being close and being next to successful people is really important. What I want to do is talk about that for a moment um, in terms of when you start getting close and start rubbing shoulders with some of these successful people, um, you know, how that began to change, you know, your, your outlook on life. Bro, a guy once told me, another mentor once said, if you hang around four broke people, 
guess who's going to end up at <laughs> the fifth? It was so it was so simple. The simplicity of it was kind of funny. But what's up, LA man? That's my yeah, yeah LA top four. Yeah, for R&B singers and long brands, man, he's the killer on bro. Mm. I just like man, yo, I got to do what he do because he he yeah. has confidence. But um, man, goodness gracious, I'm sorry, bro. I saw that, that proximity. Of, yep, proximity to success. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah, you hang around four four broke people, you'll be the fifth. Energy is contagious, man. You gotta you gotta protect your spirit because everyone's spirit is not in rhythm. I look at it like a like you playing um, what's the casino game and you throw the roulette? Throw, is that roulette yeah. or uh, yes? Yeah, I think it's roulette, right? I, when it, and it stops in the slot. I think I look at at the universe or our lives like that. And there's all kind of grooves, and we don't fit in every one of those grooves. But when we finally find that groove, everything moves smoothly. And when you're around disturbing energies, it can disturb mm-hmm. you and alter your path. And when the the thing with Cam Newton changed my life because this all happened in one day. We're down, me and my line brother called. That story's crazy, man. Oh, crazy! Do I, do I tell it. Tell, tell it, it. Tell it. Tell it. Charlotte is a Greek. It's like there's a, there's a few. I don't know if they were sigmas, alphas, but they were putting on this Greek uh, thing in Charlotte, trying to get that jumped off. So we go down. Me and a few of them, my Q brothers, we we turned up having a blast. And I see this real big dude with a Q shirt on. So I got the little man complex because I'm a little Q. <laughs> so I go up to him, start talking junk, like trying to figure out who he is. And he's like, Yeah, blah blah blah. So he knew his stuff. And then he's like, Yeah, I play for the team. I said, what team you play for? What you, I, I, I wasn't even thinking about any like football. He said, for the Panthers. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> so we start vibing, man, and having hopping, having a good time. So later that night, one of my younger brothers, he called me. He's like, Fresh, Byron just invited us to the crib. You trying to come through? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Somebody comes to swing, pick me up. So my line brother picks me up. I'm in the university area. Comes from, I think Carlton was living downtown. Come pick me up. We get to Byron's crib. It's already like one of those high rises overlooking Charlotte. As soon as we get in, chicken, beer, all of this stuff set up for us. It's all, it's like seven brothers and then then Byron. We having a blast. So Byron steps off to the side. He's on the phone. We're talking, not thinking much of anything. He says, Y'all want to take a ride? We're thinking we're about to go club hopping. And so he said, Well, I was supposed to, mind you, Byron had just became Cam's blindside. Byron Bell, if y'all look it up, it's number 77. He didn't get drafted. He fought for that position, won that position. He was supposed to go kick it with Cam. He's like, I was supposed to kick it with Cam. I told him I was with the bros. He said, it's cool. Y'all can slide over too. We're all looking at each other like, now listen, this is 2011 Cam Newton. Okay, so this is like Heisman, yeah. top of the world. We're in Charlotte. Like, dude, what? Yes. <laughs> so I'm texting my, my wife like, yo, I'm about to go to Cam Newton's crib. Blah, blah, blah. She like, all right, because she at home with my daughter, so she like he having all this fun. <laughs> Man, bro, when I tell you, he lit so Cam Newton lived above this uh, restaurant called Chinas. It's a Brazilian steakhouse on, on College Street, right across from Ruth's Chris. I always walked the streets of Charlotte, like downtown by myself when I was in college. And so I always passed by. I never noticed this little secret entrance. So we walked to the secret entrance entrance. There's, a, there's an elevator in the hall. He buzzes us. He buzzes us up. So this is the first time in my life I ever had like a uh, starstruck kind of vibe going on. Cause I was a cam. 
I told everybody at work, if Cam came to Panthers, this is when we were they were talking about it. I said, I'm a Panthers fan because I love Cam's <laughs> redemption story. So I'm starting, you know how you walk in and you feel you walk at regular speed, but you feel like it's slow motion. Mm-hmm. Even the elevator and everything starts getting slow. This big dude at the end of the hall, he's standing in the doorway. Wow. He's like, fellas, welcome to the bungalow. <laughs> we walk in this now. Michael Jordan got a, a spot. It's all reason you can research it though. Michael Jordan got a spot in the same uh Chima's condominium place. So wow. we go in, and I've never in my life seen a four million dollar condo. And everything from the flooring, wood, real wood flooring, shiny. He had his Heisman trophies, it was clean air. I've seen wow. the dinner tables, one of them king, like a, that a king at a palace sits at. He had outside, he had his terrace where it's like white leather seats. Mm. Go outside and look at the city. And he's just in there and we're watching the Jones and Evans fight. And while we're all sitting down, he had chicken. He ordered some chicken for us. So we had all these plates of chicken. He doesn't even drink. He has a rock, everything we wanted just out for us just to be hospitable because he knew we were brothers of Byron. And we're watching the fight and it taught me something about principle. We bet on the fight. He said, if I lose, he ain't bet money or drink. He said, I'm going to do push-ups. <laughs> he bet on Evans. And you know Jones <laughs> So Jones whooped Evans with the long feet, was kicking him all night. So Cam lost and did a hundred us, whatever push-ups. And I'm like, yo, uh-huh. he didn't take a shot. He didn't mm-hmm. bet money. He did something that built him. I was like, yo, this dude is principal. Then we go and play NBA 2K and we bet again. Then we bet money there. And he took everybody's money. Uh, but the whole night, man, uh, Le'Veon Bell, I think, I can't think of his name right now. A wide receiver at the time for, for the Panthers came by. And I'm just like, now I could have met a million people over this next week, and nobody would have gotten me a signature from Cam. I met one person. One person. I'm in Cam's personal condo, eating chicken, watching the Jones Evans fight, playing NBA 2K, hanging out with NFL dudes. And it taught me something, that circle of influence. Successful people hang out with other successful people. I'm watching this guy. I'm watching the commercials. I'm seeing Gatorade and yogurt commercials with him in it. And I'm like, this dude is in his early 20s. He's mm. living the life of his dreams. Mm. I can't be an NFL player. At that point, I kind of gave up music. I said, what could I do? What lane could I find that I could run 100% in and get this quality of life? And that's mm. what I research and Warren Buffett and started reading every book on stocks that I could because I was like, that's a lane I can learn. And I already saw it. I already saw it materialized. I saw who hangs out with who. I saw that if I want to improve my surroundings, I got to change who I hang out with and I got to read things that are going to cultivate my mind so that it's conducive to where I want to go. And that changed my whole flow. As you read in the book, I turned up. That, yo, that was like it was almost like one of those stories is one of my favorite short stories is uh, the metamorphosis where mm-hmm. a, a man goes to sleep at night and he wakes up the next night as like an insect and his whole life changes. Wow. And you're, you're, it was almost like reading that you left work. Cause the way I envisioned it, you left work from your cubicle doing claims adjustments and yeah. you end up, it's like a movie. You end up the same night you left, the same day of the night, the night of the day you left work, you end up at Cam Newton's house. Okay. And you see things. And this is that whole proximity to success, how close we are 
to success. And when you are there, you're everything's going on, but you have a moment. You have a moment with yourself and you're yeah. like, yo, some things in my life have to change. So I I think that many of us were always we're there. I think that we have those moments, but sometimes we're not still enough to hear that mm -hmm. voice and listen to that. But let me tell you something. I'm a real talk, Aramif. This week, rereading your book and reading that moment, it made me even start thinking about my own situation. And I'm like, yo, am I getting too comfortable? Mm. Do I need to start upping the ante? Do I need to start moving a little differently? Because when I read it, it hit me. I read it years ago. I read your book years ago. Yeah. But I was like, let me read, let me reread so I can kind of be in tune when we in this conversation. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, man, that story it started changing my life. It yeah. started making me reevaluate things. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that proximity, we we cannot, you know, and it, it, everything, even with children, like we're all raising children. We're going, I want to get into that next with your family, because that, that one of the most important things is you being a family man. But even raising children, one of the most important things, all the research about education, all the research about uh, adolescence tells us that the most influential people in children's teenage, preteen and teenage lives are their peer group. Okay. And peer group, peer group is almost essential to what you talked about in terms of that proximity of success. The people who are, because young people turn off parents at about 12, 13, they stop listening. They start listening to their peer group and whatever their peer groups into and whatever that's being influenced by. And they stop listening to their parents. So parents out there, if you have a one-year-old to 11-year-old, get in their ear now because once they hit that preteen, it becomes more difficult. But what, what I want to do is talk about, you know, all of these things to me, Aramith, brought you to being a husband, being a dad, you know, being a family man. And what I want to do is just kind of talk about you as the father, you as a husband, uh, and as a family man, and what that means to you. And you know, I grew up without my uh, a biological father, and he passed uh, he passed two years ago. And um, it's crazy. Before he passed, we hadn't talked in months, and I just called him. And I'm just as soon as I called him, he was like. He was so excited, bro. He was like, hey, airs, they call me air. Airs on the phone. Like a kid, bro. And he was like, man, you know what I was just thinking about? Remember that time we went fit? So as soon as he started talking like that, I understood he was in a reflective point of life, which buzzes go off my head. I don't know. Something's going on, but he's in a reflective point of life. And I already knew. I didn't yeah. know, but I knew. Yeah. And I just wow. And he talked, and I, you know, I, I'm listening to him just talking. He's like, man, you know, I never got to spread my wings, man, but I'm so proud of you, what you're doing with your daughter and all this stuff. And we just talked about life, bro. And it really just, I, I'm almost in tears now because it was so beautiful. And he died a week later, a heart attack at 51 years old. And Damn. what it taught me, bro, is 
I just had this conversation with my daughter the other day, and uh, we eating. I made some. Um, no, I bought some buffalo wild wings. So we eating buffalo wild wings at the table, and we had this joke like because she's always on her phone. I'm like, I put my phone out. I said, so what did you do today? And, so, <laughs> and then she she loves stories of my childhood. So can you tell me some more about your childhood? So we start talking. I'm like, oh, what's your, what's your favorite color? And then she says, black. I'm black. I said, what's your favorite food? She's like, uh, pizza. I said, okay, what's your favorite thing to do with family? Uh, go to Jamaica. She loves <laughs> story. That's when Rihanna came out with uh wow wow thought okay, okay. Jamaican tour. The dude was the funniest dude. And she did and, but anyway, that's her favorite spot. Um and I said, What's your you know, just ask all these favorite, what's your favorite thing? And then I said, What's your uh favorite thing about daddy? Mm-hmm. And then she starts going off, you're funny, uh, you're nice, you're smart. Uh she's telling me all these things, and then I'm just like, okay, what's your worst thing about me? She says, um, when you spank me? I said, girl, I only spanked you about two times your whole life. She said, no, three. Wow. Kids remember the good you do. They also remember the bad you do. They value the good. But your messages to your kids are so important. And your message is something that they take with them as a compass as they travel through life. And raising a family to me is so important because that's your kingdom. And I, I, I carried that out when I was, I, I recently, before I jumped full-time to entrepreneurship, I was teaching for a couple of years and I had a chess class. And um, chess is a passion of mine. And I believe chess really should be a mandatory class in all schools because the kids that they was trying to suspend would navigate their ways to my, mm-hmm. to my class. Say, Mr. T, can we play chess? I've had times when the principal has found the student that they were trying to send out in my class Mm-hmm. playing chess she walk in and just look she, i'll leave y'all to it she didn't mm-hmm. write it she saw that the way this happened because we're all they're all geniuses let's put that first of all they're geniuses right but their minds haven't developed fully yet so there's so many conflicting messages mom's message dad's message friend's message social media's message we're trying to process all of this stuff and they're still trying to identify who they are. Then they're trying to fit in. Then they want uh, girlfriends or boyfriends. So, mm-hmm. and, and there, sometimes their issues are undermined. A, a heartbreak for a child is just as serious as a divorce for an adult. True. It's all about relativity. So sitting there teaching these kids chess, I found that if you give them something to value and something to be good at, it becomes cool. And now when the class bully becomes the class best chess player. He's playing chess with Mr. Mm. T. Now all the girls want to play chess with this kid. Now he likes Mr. T because Mr. T got him girls. And now he's changing his behavior because now he can put that energy into chess. So now instead of hitting the other kid, Mm. now he's whooping people in chess. Where's Mm. so-and-so at? Oh, he's in Mr. T's class playing chess. Teachers a little, some teachers get mad at that. Some teachers like to vent and you got to realize that there's a lot of broken people hurting people. And they go into professions and hurt people, hurt people. And they hurt a lot of kids. And I can't do that. So, man, we play chess, but I, I carry that. I, I feel like I'm a father figure. Any kid I mentor, whenever I have my chess club in the hood and I go in there, I bring my daughter with me. And we'll teach the kids chess. They said fourth and fifth graders couldn't learn chess. I had fourth and fifth graders 
whipping people, whipping grown men. So it ain't about, it's about the time you take with them. And I just, man, raising a family dude is, is everything because that's your hub. That's your, that's your foundation. That's your energy source. How are you going to fight the war of, of internal strife, a war of society, war and business, if you don't have a strong energy source back home? You got to, man. You need the wife. You need your daughters. You need your son because that gives you that 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 thing to fight for. Like, how are you going to win? You wow. can't you need God and you need family. You can't do this thing alone. Wow. You know that's arrogance and, and, and pride, and you're going to fall with too much pride. But the family, a family starts from here, from the bottom. And no matter how many times life knocks you down, family's going to be there. Boom, we got you. Go back out there, Dad. We got you. We're going to love you unconditionally. We love you regardless. I only remember two th- times. She said, you beat me three times. She only rem- she remembered that down to me. <laughs> she had a list of 20 things of the things she loved about me. So that is motivation, bro. And that's what we got to get back to, man. We can, you know, we got we got to raise these families. And it's it's not hard, bro. It, it's You got to sacrifice things. But you got to take yourself out the equation, bro. Like, you got to take care of these girls. I mean, especially as men and as black men. You got to realize the black woman has been a target, hmm. a political target, an economic target. If you ever read Willie Lynch letter, can you understand mm-hmm. the scientific, even if the letter itself is not real, the formula is real. And you got to realize that there's a full assault. So we have to be in that household to keep that queen because that's the mother, that's the woman, that's the birth of nations. We got to keep that right. And I, I miss you treated a lot of women as a, I'm not going to say that I was a saint. I was screwed up. My mom told me, you're going to end up alone. But a couple things, a couple losses in life and knocked me down. And I was like, I can't do this by myself. <laughs> wow. You're a woman, bro. So, yeah. That, you know, it's funny that what you just said um, in terms of the message from your mother. Um, I think that we can get, we can get that could be a whole episode. Um, yeah. You know, you talked about your relationships that may not have been healthy relationships, mm-hmm. but you learn from those relationships. They were their products, they're things that were produced, but you learn from them, you own them, and then you let them sort of, you know, move you in a direction that you wanted to be in, you know, uh, which was away from that in terms of, you know, uh, having these, you know, these, these not so healthy or problematic relationships with females, because without those relationships and without those things, because I think we have to own those things. We we have to, because they make us who we are, you know what I'm saying? You can't run away from them, but you learn from them. And, And I think that that's one of the things that, we sometimes miss out on is that we miss the lesson in things Mm -hmm. and we get caught up in this whole perfection. I know me anyway, where, okay, it wasn't perfect. So that's an issue, you know, like instead of owning those things and then letting those things transform you into the you that you want to become, you know? So, so, you know, I, I think, you know, listen, this, First of all, before we even move on, we definitely going to need a part two with you because I haven't even been able to touch on the whole financial literacy piece. I haven't, you know, because that's another, you know, that's that's another piece that I really want to start getting into 
with with us with our community is that financial literacy piece and you know and i and i i definitely want to get you back on to talk about that uh, because i think that that's very important in the way that you address it in your book i think is an easy way for people to swallow it you know i i really 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 do um think that it's easy for for people to swallow it that way but what i want to do you know in our final moments together um, for this show. I want to talk about, we said a lot today. Um, if there was a way that you can give a message to Aramith as a high school student, right? So you're sending a message to yourself as a high school student. Mm. I want to know what that message would be. Man, um, Napoleon Hill talks about in his book, Think and Grow Rich, have a definite major purpose, a definite chief aim. And that is so important. And it's something that I was, it was so simple. But when I read it, I'm like, wow, I never had a definite chief aim. I never had a definite, a, de uh, a definite major purpose. And so I had, I, I would identify, I would tell that my past self, what is your definite chief aim? What is that thing? What is that destination? You set that destination first. It makes it a lot easier to navigate the waters on the way there because they're going to change and it's going to be vicissitudes to life. Mm -hmm. But if you set that destination first. That GPS may reroute you. You may end up taking an exit wrong. But guess what? Your GPS knows where you're going. So as long as it knows where you're going, it's going to find a side street. You might have to stop for a little bit. You might have to go use the bathroom, get you a drink. But guess what? It's going to reroute you. And it may seem like you're not getting where you're going, but guess what? I look at GPS as God protective site. That GPS mm -hmm. is going to take you there. You just got to have faith in that uh, process. So I would say start with that definite chief aim and a definite major purpose. And then I would tell myself, what is the penalty of not sticking to that definite chief aim? What do you stand to lose? I think it's easier for us to be accountable when we associate things with pain. So if we say, I watched my my step my stepfather's mother in the hospital, and I watched how they treat people with money when they're about to die, and how they treat people who don't have money when they're about to die. And when it comes down to mortality, I mean, it's, it's crazy because lack of financial resources is a disease. Just as much as not understanding mm. So just as much as has, having too much and not having an understanding of what to do with it can be a disease. Lack of knowledge about it and lack of it can be a disease because it could kill you. It could kill your family. Mm -hmm. And we gotta be, we have to be realistic about these things. We have to confront our lack of if, uh, our, our ignorance to these things. So I would say, what is the pain associated to you not pursuing this path? Who loses? What family member will you not be able to help? What house will you not be able to provide for your for your family? What trips will, what countries, what islands will you not be able to take your daughter so that they're well cultured and so that when she has a husband, she expects to be treated a certain way and see certain things. So it becomes a big thing of not about you, but the things you can do, the people you can help. What is the penalty for not sticking to it? So once I know where I'm going, once I know the pain associated with not to not getting there, then 
I'll have some kind of consciousness of how important it is that I stick to the script. And that's what I would tell myself because life is going to throw so much to you young. If anyone's younger listening to this, you're going to you're going to go through so many changes. But the one thing you can decide now, you can decide on starting a journal and writing the stuff down so you have a blueprint, you have stuff you can reflect, you can start to grow every year and you can set that goal to where you want to go. So no one can, you know, for a young lady, no one can game you and trick you out your blessing because you already know where you're going. They can't tell you this and that. They can't try to do this and that to you because, yo, I'm going to Harvard. I'm going to Howard. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a fee- the first female airline entrepreneur. You can't trick me out that because I've already made that commitment to myself. And if they're not conducive to that journey, nature automatically removes them from your lane. And that's what I love about God, because once you tell him what you want and you decide on it, he gets rid of all the haters. He pulls all the weeds because as long as you running, as long as you running, if they ain't with it, they're going to they gonna fall off point blank period because they don't have the same destination as you. And I would tell myself that because I got pulled and pushed so many directions because I didn't have a destination. And I ended up, you know, I ended up wherever someone was pulling me. That's now I got a destination and no one's tricking me on my spot. You can't, you can't tell me I can't afford it because I know how to get it. You can't tell me I can't do it because there's books to teach me how to do it. You can't tell me I ain't I ain't worthy of it because I know who my people are. I know my heritage. I know my value and I'm proud of that. And you can't lie to me. You can't make me feel less than because I know my freaking end. And I know where I'm going. And that's power. And that's like, it makes me tear up right now because I want that message so important, bro. Mm. Every kid should know that. Yo, you can do it. This is set that destination. God got it. Like, it really works that way. Set it. Put it on a vision board. I wish I could show you my vision board right here. Put it on a vision board. Auto suggestion. It really works. You know, you go to a car lot with your parent and you pick out a car. You ever notice that you see more of that car everywhere? Mm. It ain't that more people in the car. It's because you have an emotional connection with that car now, and now you identify it. So you put it on the vision board. You put it in your journal. Mm. You associate a pain cause to it. Now it's an emotional attachment. So now you're going to identify those opportunities that take you to that goal. And can't no one get in the way of that. Bro, you got, like, right now... I mean, people is really feeling in the chat. People really feeling what you're saying, man. Like, you you got me feeling a certain kind of way right now. You got me ready to go up and move things, bro. Um, you know, it it goes to that. You know, and you, you mentioned it a lot in your book, and and I've read a lot of Napoleon Hill. Um, I've read a, a, a lot about you know uh, the power of, of thought, mm. um, and as a man thinketh. And one of one of the yes, one of the things that always resonates is that, and I forget, and you probably can, you know, attach the proper author to what I'm going to say, but um, when you have a determined idea, or if, if you have a thought and a goal that the universe, and I'm paraphrasing, the universe will begin to conspire. James Allen, as yes, a man, when you, when you, if you set that goal, the universe will conspire with you to accomplish it. It's simple mm. that it's it's the vision board. Steve Harvey has a vision, and this is science, right? This is this is you know Steve Harvey has a vision board. When we see things, 
and we see it daily on and on and on and on, we start to create a mindset around that. We start to create, we start to identify like the car shopping. That blew my mind when I read that. I believe it was in Napoleon Hill's book when he said that. Oh, um, for y'all, I, I know we're probably running over, but it's so much. But let me drop this. So, so Napoleon Hill, and this is this is why racism stinks because it, it, it definitely discredits a lot of people who did fight, who were allies. And Napoleon Hill wrote the greatest book. Actually, I should have brought out Laws of Success, which was like a six hundred page book back there. This is was this was the 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 dumbed down version, which is crazy because this is dope. But this is the dumbed down version of the laws of success. He was working on a manuscript for African Americans. It was, it was, it was a manuscript the black because he realized how how much we were being wronged. He said, "I want to write something for African Americans." So he was working on it before he passed away. The Napoleon Hill Foundation let Dennis Campbell, who's another one of my favorite authors, let him finish it. It's Think and Grow Rich: A Black Choice. Get this book and get. Uh, Why should white guys have all the fun? By Reginald Lewis. That's a good one. He's a brother. By, he's a brother of Cap Alpha Psi. Um, it definitely taught me that you could be. He was the first brother to do a billion dollar leverage buyout. So, I mean, these these the books are available, man. It's just, <sighs> bro. Yeah. The you know one of the here's what here's what I'm gonna say to the audience too is sometimes you know I know how life can be you know life is challenging and a lot of times people say time time I don't have time to sit down and read a book I don't have time here's what I'm gonna say one of the one of the Napoleon Hill I have his whole collection on audio book okay mm. so it's all on Audible so if you have a phone and you have headphones okay. You should have Napoleon Hill going through those headphones because when I tell you what begins to happen is your brain begins to because your brain and you talked about this a little bit earlier, Aramith, our brains and you may not have used the term autopilot, but our brains are on autopilot and you use that in your book, though, are on autopilot to think about the negative consequences and the negative things that can happen because that basically when, when you know i don't want to give a whole science lesson but during the times when we had to be survivors and we were hunters and gatherers the the main our brain was used for a focus of survival okay yes and protection so we were always we're programmed to look for the worst that could possibly happen in a situation but one of the things we know about neurology and how the brain works is that when you are in survival mode you, your brain also shuts down creativity because you're, you 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 don't have the brain capacity at this point to to be creative and and this this goes into a lot of educational things with young people and I'm not going to get all of my soapbox but when when children experience trauma okay and that part of their brain their brain is focused on just surviving it becomes very difficult for them to act in a creative way. And in, in, in one of the one of the crazy when we have a book club, which I'm gonna talk to you about a little bit because we're recruiting you right now. But yeah. one of the things that happens is that the first part of the, the, the brain, the frontal lobe, the front part of our brain, what what is impacted most is memory. 
So when you start thinking about when you're in trauma situations, memory is impacted most. So when you start thinking about the tests and the quizzes that young people are given and they can't perform on those quizzes, especially if they are young people who have experienced traumatic situations, voila, that's how you have it. That is the research that backs that up. So if we're constantly relying on tests and things to measure kids' aptitude and everything like that, but we're not accounting for trauma, we're in trouble. So what you just said brings us to, you know, I'm going to put it out there. We have a book club, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the Purpose and Practice Book Club. Okay. Right now, our first, this is our first, you know, book we've read. We read the book together and uh, we have a discussion later this week um, on a few chapters of the book. But we read by Dr. Amos Wilson, we read um, The Developmental Psychology of the Black Child, Right. So we got into a lot of what you're discussing. We got into a lot of that. So we are now at a point where we're looking for another book. Okay. Um, And I was just talking to one of the members earlier via text. And I had sent one of your passages, you know, via text. And I was like, yo, I think we got to get the brother, you know, we got to get his book for the next book club, you know, um, uh, from, you know, from homeless to homeowner. And I'm going to put it out there now and I don't know, you know, what your thoughts are, but we would love to have you maybe join one of the discussions, you know, for the book club. Um, if we go ahead and, and, and have that. So you see right now, somebody just put up in their recruiting time. Like, Let's do it. If we can have you, bro, because, you know, a, we want to support you. Okay. Um, and when in your book, man, I, I read a lot. Your book is something that needs to be in schools. Um, there, you know, in, in that I'm thinking now of like, you know, and I know we had this discussion and we got and I got side rail because I was in between positions when you put it out there. But how can we get this into schools? There's a young brother right now, Dante, who started this program. Um, this this is called Who Got Next? It's a basketball program, right? And the the idea is genius, and I think it's going to take off, right? He had posted on Twitter about maybe two weeks ago, and he was like, you know, why didn't I learn how to start a business when I was in high school, right? Because now he started a whole business, a whole LLC. But I thought about even before the business. It starts with what you talked about in terms of a vision and in terms of a vision board and in terms of having it. So I'm like, yo, Aramith needs to be talking to the youth, like, because this hour right here can be more beneficial to them, bro, you know, than any course that they take for 10 weeks. But bro, you know what you know what's happening? For years they've been trying to run uh Windows on Mac, you know, and you and so when you're dealing with these kids are geniuses. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about pain is pain fortifies too. So when they persevere through that, they're sharper, they're stronger. So when you actually tap into it, you're blown away. Like chess, I get emotional when I'm teaching chess because I'll take a kid that they say is underperforming, and I'll teach him chess. Before I can really start to even break it down, once I teach him the fundamentals, I'm already seeing that he can see two or three. Ahead. So that already shows me 
that he had his brain power. The, gene, the, the geniuses think eight. So he's at three. You're telling me he's underperforming. And then once he starts to get his swag and he starts to feel confident, yeah. now he starts at four or five. He's like, Mr. T, I won't move there because if I move there, then that blocks my bishop from being able to get to this corner. And I need to get to this corner because once you advance your pawn, I'm going to be able to have your king in check, which is going to force you to either block with another pawn, bring a queen up, or bring a knight up which by that time I'm going to have my other bishop. And I'm just like, and you're telling me this kid can't learn? Mm -hmm. No, y'all been trying to teach MacBooks how to run on Windows mm -hmm. software. And we got to reprogram ourselves because they've been feeding us Windows, Windows, Windows. And, and, and you talk about top of the line brains. And that's not a, I'm not talking like, um, that's not like a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not saying we're superior. No, mm -hmm. what I'm saying is that youthful brain is very powerful. Yes. And I'm talking about the kind of kids we're talking about. I've been to a lot of trauma. Therefore, they're a little advanced. They understand mm -hmm. things. They understand concepts. They've mm -hmm. seen crack addicts. I was seeing my my uh, my cousin eat powder out of a bowl at seven years old because mm -hmm. she was high. And I'm like, Mom, why is she eating powder? Because my mom didn't know. She had to ask Grandma. Grandma said, because that's how you come down if you're really high. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing these things. They're seeing murders. So they already have a, a really intimate relationship with, 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 with strife and with adversity. So when you give them an avenue where they can excel, it's explosive. TJ said it's like this. He said, picture it like a, like a bow and arrow. And he says, and it's just keep pulling. And he said, and they're getting pulled back, pulled back, pulled back. They're watching everybody else's arrows. Susie over there is going to getting her arrow pulled. She's, she's flying off. Jeff is getting his arrow pulled. When I'm going to get my arrow pulled? Man, I ain't never going to get my chance mm. in this stress. And he said, get to a point where you feel like you're about to break. And, yes. and you can shoot past everybody who was winning before you. And that's what we got to do with the kids. But it's reprogramming. The negative thoughts, you got to teach them that you don't have to deal with that. Like, you, I mean, you don't have to settle with a negative thought. You can control your, your mind. A negative thought comes in, I'm ugly. No, I'm beautiful. This mm. self-talk is so important. We already do it, but we don't realize we can control our thoughts. And once you control your thoughts, you can control your habits. Excuse me, your habits. Um, excuse me, your actions. Your actions become a habit. Habits form a lifestyle. So it starts with thoughts, vision board, got quality vision, got quality thoughts. You're going to take quality actions. Those quality actions are going to bring you around quality people who have quality habits. Those quality habits are going to crystallize into a certain to a, a area of, of what they call area competence or mastermind alliance where everybody's winning, everybody's positive, everybody's going off to school, everybody's reading books, everybody's investing in stocks, everyone's buying real estate. And now you got your own little nucleus of supercharged masterminds going to get it and can't no oppressor anything stop that. That's the beauty. Once it's moving, once you know how to trade stocks, you realize I don't even have to buy American companies. Okay, you don't want my money here? I can buy Asian companies. Uh, India is one of the biggest emerging markets. I can buy Indian companies. I can buy Africa, Nigeria. They're building super cities, the Dubai of Africa. I can't think of the name of the city right now, but they're building a city in, Af in Nigeria that will rival Dubai. So there's all these different companies you can put your money into. And when you make money in stocks, that's you. You pay your capital gains tax. But guess what? No one can say, hey, I'm not giving you this opportunity because guess what? You took your 10 G's, 
you bought this company, it turned into 50. Now you can go buy a piece of real estate and you can rent that out. And can no oppressive regime, st regime stop that because it's in their benefit to do business with you. Sure. Put yourself in a position to do business with people and now the level, the playing field is level. And that's all I'm about, bro. Bro, you, yo, you came through, Aaron Myth. Um, I'm, this is what I'm gonna tell you, man. Um, we, I'm, I have a, I have a lineup um, I've been working with some brothers on a lineup for financial uh, literacy and uh, just kind of understanding that whole entrepreneurship uh, and, and owning your own and working for yourself. And that's the direction. Yo, I'm late to the game. I'm just starting to get into that mode, you know, of, you know, moving beyond a paycheck. You understand what I'm saying? So. I'm hoping that I would be able to reconnect with you and have you on those later episodes when we start talking intentionally about financing, you know, from A to Z and, and how you could start it. Cause I know you're doing a lot with your daughter um, and how you could start it from, from that age all the way up. And, and hopefully that's something that, you know, you'd be interested in. Um, but I'm gonna get I'm gonna get you to sign on. A, I'm, I'm just going to make, you know, an X decision right now and say, our next book for purpose and practice book club is definitely going to be your book. Okay. From home, from homeless to homeowner, that's going to be the book. Um, and I'm hoping that for at least one of the sessions that we have, you will be able to come in, you know, and, and be a part of the group. It'll be on this kind of format um, and be a part of the group and, and talk to us about, you know, the, the, the process in terms of going through the experiences of writing that book. Okay. So you so you're on you're on the line for that, bro. You hey, you, you signed up. Let's make it um, work. Before we close out, you know, a lot has been said. Um, we are thankful for your time. Is, is there anything that you want to share with the people? You know, as is your closing thoughts. I would say, you know, like we said, don't taste perfection. Just as Steve Harvey said in this book right here, which get this book jump. By Steve Harvey, think it, do it, fix it. Mm. Okay, you got that idea to start that business. You thought about it. Okay, the next important thing is do, do something. I don't even, I don't care if it's writing it down. Draw a picture of what your logo may look like. Call, make a phone call. Even if you're not ready for financing, call a bank. Uh, see how, call the state treasurer's office. See what you got to do to start your LLC. Take some form of action. Because what that action does is sets a series and sets it's the energy. It is when you take a step, you already quiet all those initials. So you quiet about 50% of the doubts that's going to come at nine o'clock because they're coming at nine. <laughs> when you lay down, you're going to start to doubt everything. I'm telling I've had it over and over and over again. Do something, then you feel good, but then leave it alone. After you take that action, put it down. Don't overthink it because the more you analyze it, you're going to get analysis paralysis. You're going to mm -hmm. analyze something until you can't even move because you're thinking about the million hypotheticals that in that's just a, a dark uh, rabbit hole. So think it, do it, and fix it. Mm. I mean, what do you have to lose? And if you're not comfortable with going all in, start small. If it stocks, don't go and put in thousands. Don't chase the don't chase the Nate the don't chase the uh, next trend. Put fifty dollars in just to learn how stocks move. Pick you up a book. Take your time with the book. Don't rush. It ain't never too late. Warren Buffett just bought five billion dollars. 
they, Warren Buffett makes, I tell my kids this, I say, guess how much Warren Buffett makes every week? And when I'll give them candy if they get it right. And they'll some say 500,000. Nah, 5 million, uh, 10 million. I say, Warren Buffett makes $100 million a week. Wow. The hardest part of his job is how to reinvest his money to where his shareholders still receive a good return. So think big because there's a big world out there and your idea will work. Even if it's for a hundred people, it still touched a hundred people. So think it, do it, fix it. Don't overthink it. Don't get in analysis paralysis and pray on it and write it down. Just write stuff down, write everything down. Thank you, brother. I think that's a great way to end. Um, I'm full right now, man. You, you definitely blessed us on purpose and practice. And that's what we're here for. Um, you definitely have some folks who've been in the chat who I know going to go out and grab your book um, that you wrote. And we are definitely going to have you on. Uh, we'll probably start the next one in September. It'll be early September when our next book starts, our next book club starts. And I'm going to uh, reach out. There's been some people say, how do I get involved with the book club? And I'm going to hook them up and uh, we're going to be back in touch. The beautiful thing is, man, another brother from around the way, okay, um, who has done great things, man. And my goal is to get you back doing some things here in Monmouth County for our youth around here because I, I think we need it. We, right. we we really, you know, when I talk about Long Branch, you know, in that, that place, no matter where I'm working, Long Branch will always be near and dear to me. Right. Um, you know, uh, in the greater Monmouth County, just New Jersey, period. Like, we, we need to hear more from you. So thank you for your time, Brother Aramith. Um, it's, been, it's, been, it's been real, bro. Um, shout out to LA. He just came back in, uh, giving us a salute. Um, and um, we, we're definitely going to be in touch. Um, and to the community of Purpose and Practice, thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, everyone be well, uh, be safe. And we look forward to seeing you next week on our next um, episode of Purpose and Practice with Dr. Rawls. So thanks again, Aramith. Uh, we will be in touch, brother. Be blessed. Peace out.